Good morning and welcome to Wednesday morning, November the 15th, 2023 on When I Rise. Today we continue year A, proper week 28, which is the 25th Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Wednesday of the week, I'd like to take a look at one of the extra passages that float around in this week of the Revised Common Lectionary in this week of the church's calendar year. And I'm going to pick up today the extra psalm passage that's in the Revised Common Lectionary, Psalm 90 verses 1 through 8, and then verse 12. So let me read that passage, provide a couple of points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Psalm 90, verses 1 through 8, and then verse 12. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is the word of God for us. All right, as you listen to the psalm passage this morning, if you thought to yourself, man, I just heard this before, uh, you are not mistaken, all the way back in year A, proper week 25, or the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost, just a few weeks back, this was the psalm of the week, and so you can go back there and retrieve some of the content there if you'd like. But just as a review, this is the first psalm that opens up book four of the Psalter, uh, so the second to last book within the Psalter, and it's attributed to Moses. Uh, it says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, and scholars you know, argue and debate about whether Moses would have penned such a song or if this was written by a worship leader in memory of Moses. And so that's yet to be determined, and you could decide what you like to think there. But ultimately, I think the theme of Psalm 90 is it's a sociological psalm. It, it, it tries to examine what it means to be human. And... Um, this is not uncommon in the Psalter. One of the places that we find in the Psalter, also in the Old Testament, is this idea of how humanity is made low. We're like made lower than the heavenly beings, but we're also crowned with glory and splendor. So there's this great paradox of who we are. Uh, somebody once told me that rabbis, a certain sect of rabbis, used to walk around with a couple pieces of paper in their pockets. Uh, to remind them of the extremities of this paradox. And one piece of paper, it, it's written the word dust, uh, to remind ourselves in a prideful moment when we've been esteemed uh, by our community that we need to rem be reminded that we are dust, and to the dust we shall return. But the other piece of paper um, has got something to the extent of uh, glory or, or something like brilliance, because um, we, even though we are made you know, a little lower than angels, we are crowned with glory and splendor. And so th those two extremities help steady us um, back to the road of what it means to be human and, and walking with God. So back in Psalm 90, you've got this interesting uh, 
you know, think about how uh, there's this idea of throughout all generations, God has been our shelter. Uh, He's been our dwelling place. Um, And then it goes on to verse five, talk about the frailty of life. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it is dry withered, right? So there's something neat when new grass springs up, but then it just doesn't last long. So get a good look at it because it may not be around much longer. And then extends. I think the last time we read it, we stopped in verse six, but going further, we are consumed by your anger and are terrified by your indignation. Maybe a couple categories that's kind of uncomfortable with us, particularly as we try to reckon with why is verse seven in the Bible and there's also a verse about God being love. Like, how does love fit into being consumed by anger and terrified by this God's indignation? Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Um, in a mystery, I think it was uh, Teresa of Avila said that there's a necessity in sin. Um, one, something that I grapple with, and I think it was the middle of a, a cohort learning environment uh, in one of my degree plans that I was in. Uh, we brought this quotation up uh, by St. Teresa where there's like this sense of, you know, sin does separate us from God, as a refrain from the Old Testament says, and God judges sin, and um, sin is like an act in rebellion against God. But uh, maybe also in a mystery, um, you know, the reason that maybe sin's in the picture, in the equation, is because as long as we have sin in our lives, which if I could just take from scripture texts and Christian thought, we're always going to have sin in our lives until um, the restoration of all things. That means we're always in need of God, right? Um, have sin in your life. You need God. You need God to therapeutically redeem you from those sins and positionally redeem you from those sins. And so it's not that we, not that we celebrate sin, not at all, um, but it is perhaps a, a fixture in our human experience that even though we might assume it draws us away from God. It actually, for those of us who know Christ and who have been shaped by the gospel, it draws us to God because it reminds us that uh, we need a Redeemer, that He's our Savior and Lord over our life. And yes, positionally, He removes sin and its effects from our lives when we confessed and embraced Jesus. And practically, as we continue to walk this road with God, we come to God once more and say, God, help me cleanse me from all my sin. Maybe that's why it's in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's a sense that we just know, like this seems to be a given. Like we're, we're going to always be in God's debt. And this is not a scary place to be, but it's actually the wisest place to be because we have a God who both loves us and would rather see us separated from sin so that we can enjoy the great depth of life as he always intended it for us. So with those things in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're a redeemer, that you are the one who forgives and restores. We also thank you that you're holy and just. And in a mystery, we find both of those endeavors located deeply within Father, Son, and Spirit. And so God, this day, each of us come to you and we don't pretend to have our lives completely patched up and put together. We are just in need of you today as we were when we first called upon Christ. 
So we pray for that uh, forgiveness to be applied over our life fresh and new today as your beloved people, not as those who've been walking away from you and in rebellion against you. Oh God, we thank you that um, you promise us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, and you'll forgive us of our sins. And so this day, as we reckon with how we've missed the mark and how we've wandered from the path, I pray that there be a well-lit path back to the way of righteousness for us so that we can know the forgiveness once again, fresh and new, and so that we can walk in communion with you, our God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.